Hey, Al, how are you doing in this nice, almost spring-like weather, it seems, the last uh, yesterday it, and tomorrow? Uh, it's beautiful. You know, we talked about dandelions blooming. Well, they're still blooming. They're just thinking this is <laughs> this is like a second spring for them. So they're, uh, they're doing all right out there. Uh, still seeing some uh, milkweed seeds blowing around in the wind. Uh, boy, I wonder how far some of those traveled when we had those strong strong north winds that are blowing them at 30 miles an hour or so so they get to get to see a lot more of the world than you probably ever think you will as a milkweed seed if well you know if milkweed seeds sink at all <laughs> but it's uh it's really neat to see all these things going on and uh you know i'm all right with uh i, I don't mind snow but i'm okay when we don't have it for a little while uh, as long as the as long as the temperatures just don't get beastly cold and uh, sends that uh, frozen ground deep down in so the frost line doesn't need to get down too deep because then it causes other problems. I uh, I need to say as a, uh, oh, as a grandpa, a proud grandpa, I want to shout out to my granddaughter, Joey Bat, who was named Player of the Yay. Week for the uh, North uh, Northern Sun conference of basketball so there's a lot of great players well there. congratulations to joy she's just a star here at minnesota state or has been at minnesota state so we're proud of her too we're, we're hoping she'll make a few million dollars like Paige Beckers is making, yeah. you know, sign a Gatorade contract, <laughs> and, and she can uh, keep her uh, grandpa in uh, yes. the lifestyle he's become accustomed to. <laughs> I want to notice everything. I've had a lot of you are like that, saying, man, today I'm going out there and I'm going to notice, I'm just going to notice everything. And if you notice you aren't noticing everything, does that mean you are noticing everything? (laughs) I digress here, but uh, I saw bodies of water. I was looking at bodies of water. They become leaf soup in the fall. Mm -hmm. There's just leaves out there and it's just making this, it's like stew or soup. And I think about things uh, when I'm trying to notice everything. I'm, I think about things I, I'm not noticing because I miss seeing the NASCAR birds. What are the NASCAR yeah. birds? Turkey vultures flying in circles. <laughs> in uh, Roman mythology, Romulus and Remus, they were the twin sons of, I think she was a princess and the god Mars. And they're uh, considered the founders of Rome in legend. And the brothers quarreled over the location of where they're going to put the new city. Romulus, he wished to start the city on Palatine Hill. And Remus, he wanted to put it on Aventine Hill. And to settle their disagreement, they can they agreed to consult augury, a type of prophecy in which birds are observed to determine which twin the gods favored. So each brother prepared a sacred space on his respective hill and watch for the birds and Remus saw six vultures while Romulus saw 12 and began to dig trenches and build walls for the new city on Palatine Hill and that's just kind of the start there's it's a uh, it's quite a it can make a number of movies just though Remus and Romulus I've been looking, when I'm out noticing things, I've been looking for the Christmas hawk, and that's a name I called the handsome rough-legged hawk when I was a lad. 
the bird was as regular as Santa Claus, but less giving. <laughs> and this hawk is an Arctic breeder in Alaska and northern Canada and comes south to places like Minnesota in the fall and winter. I typically see them in November for the first time. Rough-legged refers to the feathered legs, which provide warmth. Uh, let's see, be it the ferruginous hawk and the golden eagle are the only American raptors to have legs feathered to the toes. Rough-legged hawks, they perch on thinner branches than red-tailed hawks are able to, and they hover while hunting, with lemmings being a favorite prey in their breeding range. While here, they're feeding on voles and mice. Uh, rough legs come in to, they come in two morphs. There's light and dark. And studies have found that the dark ones hunt more successfully during cloudy days, and the light-colored hawks flourish when the sky is bright. Mm-hmm. I also saw Merlin, another exceptionally cool raptor. It's slightly larger than a kestrel. But it's it appears considerably larger. This falcon used to be called a pigeon hawk because it's flight in flight, it resembles a pigeon. And I watched also a northern harrier, saw a couple of them, one's called a marsh hawk. They skim low over the ground of an open field as it hunted on the wing. Uh, This hawk propelled on languid wing beats with wings raised in a dihedral, sort of a semi-V when gliding. It forages in a teetering side-to-side flight An adult female harrier's plumage is dark brown above and buff below, and the male is a pale gray above and white below, and it's just a, oh, it's just a striking bird. The males fly lower and faster than the females, and this hawk nests on the ground in Minnesota, which is really strange for uh, for a hawk to do that. The November full moon, we're just about done with November, but it's the beaver moon, and it's a name Native Americans assign because the beavers were active in preparation for winter. They don't burn wood, but they stored wood becomes their winter staple, especially willow, aspen, birch, maple. The beaver kits stay with their parents for up to two years and provide labor for building and maintaining the lodge. Tim Scott sent me a thing on, uh, it's from uh, Cornell University ornithologist Elliot Miller's study. It was in, uh, from feeder, he used feeder watch uh, data. It was in the Washington Post, and they were talking about feeder bird hierarchy, the pecking order at a feeder. And blue jays are near the top, and I'm sure a lot of people would say, well, boy, blue jays. And this uh, this study was done mainly in northeastern U.S., but we have a lot of them here. The most, uh, the toughest one, the leader of the the top of the hierarchy, the bird organizational chart would be the American crow, and then common grackle, red-bellied woodpecker, European starling, and then and only then is the blue jay. American robin is right up there too. Uh, if you get down to the other end, oh, the black-capped chickadee would be on the bottom here. Uh, American goldfinch just above it, purple finch, then the dark-eyed junco just above that, red-breasted nuthatch, house finch. So those are the ones way down the bottom. 
I I enjoyed seeing that. I wrote a column about this, and Elliot, uh, oh, a couple of years ago for Birdwatcher's Digest. It's just, uh, I have great interest in the pecking order. Uh, Downy woodpeckers, I would say, are higher in the pecking order than their size would suggest. Uh, Morning doves, you know, they're probably a little bigger than blue jays, but they're low in the hierarchy for their size. So we always talk about things punching out of their weight class. That would be probably downy woodpeckers and morning doves, not so much. Sandy Stevenson said, Al, I'm reaching out to find support for a pelican with a hurt left wing, rendering him unable to fly. This would be in the Meadow Lane neighborhood on the southeast of White Lake in Freeborn County. Any direction you could give would be appreciated. Uh, Sandy, the pelican should be okay as long as there is open water and fish to eat. Uh, If the water freezes over, of course, that's a great problem. There was an injured one on Albert Lee Lake that survived a number of winters. They are very difficult to catch if they have a modicum of vitality. I have captured sick ones that were near death. Uh, one that was frozen in the ice and the nearest wildlife rehabber I've hauled animals to again is a wildlife rehabilitation center in Roseville Sandy they are at 651-486-9453 651-486-9453 they're wonderful there there are angels at that place and I hope this is of some small help and yeah. Sandy thanks for when you mention the rehab center, yeah. I know I see that people post things on Facebook, like they found a, a nest of baby squirrels or something, and they're like, oh, should I call the rehab center? Should I try to feed them? Things like that, or, or a little nest of mice, and and they think that, well, the mother's gone or dead or something happened to it. Is it worth, I, I mean, I'm going to sound probably mean or something, is, is it worth taking the baby mice and things like that up to the the rehab center? I know some people on the Facebook said, well, maybe you should find somebody with a snake, for example. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we all have uh, different sensibilities, I yeah, guess. And I, guess. I, I know for some folks, you know, it's, it's uh, always... It's always worth a call to give the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center in Roseville a call and just say, you know, I got this going on, baby rabbits. Or, I, I, I don't know that I'd take baby mice there, but I, have, I certainly have nothing against folks that are willing to do that. It's just uh, I'd give them a call. And sometimes they will tell you, you know, they're probably not deserted. Mom is around there somewhere and just, uh, you know, relax and let it go. But uh, they're a wonderful, wonderful resource. They are just one of the greatest places on earth, and I appreciate those people so very, very much. Oh, exciting news from a neighbor here, Glenn Austin of Heartland. Uh, He and his brother... Steve, Steve Austin, they farm here, and they were out doing something, and they saw a snowy owl, and they sent me a couple photos of it. I'm assuming they took it with their uh, cell phone, and it's pretty close. Uh, they, I mean, they, I'm sure they were on a tractor, or who knows what they were on there, but they got some great shots of this beautiful white snowy owl. So I'm, I'm, I told Glenn to send it over here. I'm not very far away, so I'm hoping they're doing that even now, boxing that snowy owl up and bringing it over here and going to set it in my yard. But it's a beautiful one. It's a 
I've not seen one uh, here in southern Minnesota this year. I've heard from a number of folks down in Iowa who have seen them. So they're certainly out there, uh, out and about, as they say. So, uh, boy, again, I wish this every uh, every time I get in December. I hope everyone gets to see a snowy owl this year. It's just they are so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, again, if they took these photos with a cell phone, <clears throat> once again, I'm just amazed how how good cell phone photos are. Oh, uh, they're just, amazing. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's just this tiny little thing that we have in our hand, and they just get these great shots. Uh, Ron Erpelding, a wonderful guy who has a, a hobby, and the hobby is called birding, and I think Ron participates in birding each and every day. He is uh, just uh, he's a consummate birder and just one of the nicest guys on earth. He saw a Townsend solitaire in Renville County. Uh, Sandy uh, Stevenson with the, the pelican. I was going to mention uh, about American white pelican when I was talking about how much how much fish they need. They need twenty to forty percent of its body weight wow. daily. That's a lot of so food. So if you got <laughs> Yeah, if you got an average weight of 15 pounds, maybe that's three to six pounds of fish per day. So if when I'm saying if there's enough fish for them there, they need quite a bit. And I know when they have their chicks, it takes about 150 pounds of food to feed one chick from hatching to fledging. So 150 pounds. They hit 150 pounds and they have graduated and they're off to pelican school or college or wherever they go <laughs> so uh, again i hope that one does all right uh, it looks like the name here is ned i hope i'm getting that right uh why isn't anything eating the high bush cranberries in my yard i planted a number of those shrubs and they have a lot of berries on them uh the fruit if if you want to try this i i never found this to be exact but the fruit, it can smell like dirty socks. Oh. Now, my best friend when we were in school, I remember getting in the car, and the heaters, our TVs took, uh, you know, a half hour to warm up or something, too, <laughs> and so did our cars in cold weather. And But then when they warmed up, it was like a blast furnace when you turned on the heater. And my friend took his shoes off. I don't know if his feet were, I think it was just cold. I don't think they were wet. But this smell uh, permeated the car, oh, no. and it was his feet. Oh, no. They are just, uh, oh, my gosh. You know, I never wanted to get back out in way below zero weather so quickly in my life. <laughs> Some people say that high bush cranberries have that same smell. I oh. don't know that they ever smelled his feet, but they say they smell like dirty socks. And as a uh, former athlete, uh, you know, if things were going pretty well for you, some of the guys, and maybe me once in a while, you would not wash your socks because they were uh, lucky socks. So you'd keep them in your locker. And if you had good luck that, say, lasted a few weeks, it was a nasty thing. You would kind of open your locker and then kind of dive out of the way to let all that smell come out. And uh, so, so a lot of people say they smell like dirty socks, but that's not why birds. 
high bush cranberries, they're a desperation or starvation food, some oh. people will call them for birds. The fruit will stay on the branch for a long time. And so even though the berries aren't a favorite of many birds, they're an important survival food in winter and spring. So sooner or later, something will eat those things. I know a lot of folks will make jams and jellies out of them and say they're very good, and I think pretty much every jam and jelly is pretty good. That's because you have like four or five cups of sugar (laughs) in it, right? I mean, that's what makes it so... Hey, I've got a question about those crab apples, because I've got more prolific crab apples this year than I ever had in the past, and they're they're just beautiful, and you know, they're kind of, kind of got frozen, so they're kind of soft now, so I actually tasted one, and they're kind of shrunken, and you know, usually they're pretty tart, but I think it's like crasins, because it's sort of shrunk down, the sweetness is there, so they actually didn't taste too bad. I was talking to my neighbor out in the yard, and I said, I wonder how these things taste, so I tasted one, and they hmm, they're not too bad. So I wonder if it's partly when they're not so hard and maybe they get a better flavor as they soften up after they freeze or something and maybe they're more desirable to the the outside animals. They are, and they also ferment a little bit, so you might get a little bit of uh, alcohol in there that uh, sweetens it. Right. And uh, it's the same. I've done that, too. And uh, I remember as a kid, I'd climb up on top of the hen house and just sit up there and kind of survey my world and I'd have a pocket full of little crab apples and I'd eat those and toss them down and the chickens would run to get them and stuff and I thought those were so good now I try that and oh my gosh it gives me fish face just that permanent <laughs> pucker they're so sour I don't know what there is it's probably true about little girls but little boys we could just eat that sour stuff and just think it was the greatest thing on earth and Boy, I, I don't know if we kill those taste buds around. I want to think that our our taste buds become more sophisticated as we go through the years, and that's why we just say, "Oh, that's you know, that's you shouldn't be eating that because oh, that's nasty." Whereas again, this little boy, oh man, that was good. I uh, a listener asked. She was in Mexico, the story, and she said the Golden Eagle apparently was a national emblem of Mexico. And she was also wondering if it's the um, emblem of any countries other than Mexico. It's also the national animal of Austria, but it's and the national bird of Oh, Albania, Kazakhstan, Scotland, Serbia, and Germany. I don't know if I missed any there. Uh, Susan Wegner, who listens from Maine, and thank you, Susan, asked if I'd ever seen a crow catch a fish. I've watched, uh, when I think of those, she said, you know, maybe it's a fish crow. I've watched fish crows eat fish, and I've seen them do this gull-like behavior where they flutter over the surface water to grab small fish. And I don't get to see fish crows here where I live, but I've been able to sneak into places where I could find them. But our American crows, those are the ones we have here, they eat live fish when the situation allows their capture in shallow water. So they get into places where they can capture minnows. That appears to be a prime prey item. And when there was a species called the northwestern crow, and why isn't there one anymore? Because it was lumped. 
Well, that's a tough word, but it was lumped with the American crow. So I used to go up to Alaska, and I'd watch the Northwestern crows. And now when I go up to Alaska, I watch the American crows. Uh, I described to anybody who would listen how the Northwestern crow differs from the American crow, slightly smaller and this and that, and now they're all the same, so I can't do that anymore. But I'd watch them in Alaska. I'd go to this cathedral in Juneau, and I'd watch these northwestern crows slash american crows and they would grab these shellfish and they'd fly up high and then they'd drop the shellfish so they'd shatter on the rocks and then they'd fly down and eat on but they also ate fish and i guess all crows regardless of what you call them are opportunistic omnivores we all know somebody like that in our family. Opportunistic <laughs> omnivores, and they eat nearly everything. And Mom wasn't talking about the crow when she accused me of eating like a bird. They just, uh, they'll eat pretty much anything they can. I know I talked to a guy some years ago. He would, uh, he said he'd go to his local pizza place once a week because he loved pizza. And when he went in there, he was always so hungry, he'd get this huge pizza, and he'd take it home, and he'd get a couple meals out of it, and then he just couldn't eat anymore, so he'd have a slice left, and he'd throw it outside. And he said the crows would come down right away and get it. Uh, I'm sure some people are saying, well, you shouldn't be feeding pizza to the crows, but have you seen what crows eat? Yeah. I, I mean, they they're finding pizza anyway. People are throwing them out the car window or something. So one piece of pizza probably isn't going to hurt them any because they can just eat anything. And, just, and you all have somebody like that in your family, too. They can just eat <laughs> anything. Uh, still survive somehow. I don't know how that is. But uh, crows are, I love crows. I talk to a lot of people who that is their favorite bird, the crow. And for many reasons, it's nice to hear that it seems like not too many years ago, I really didn't talk to anybody unless they were studying crows and said, oh, yeah, the crow's my favorite bird. But I hear that quite a bit now. I think people are just noticing birds more, and they're noticing how smart crows are. I have two of them right now walking up and down my driveway. I have no idea what they're doing. I, I mean, I know they're looking for food, but what kind of food they're looking for in my driveway, I don't know. You know... One you're on ta- each side. You're talking to crows that made me think of the grackles. You know, a few years back, I recall a lot of people complaining about the grackles, but I haven't heard much about them in the recent years. So are they gone? Do they have population cycles that they go through? Or I just haven't heard much about them lately. Yeah, and their numbers have been in the decline oh. uh, for a number of reasons, I guess. And it always comes as a surprise to everybody because they nest in our yards, and they're sort of communal nesters. They nest in sort of a community. We might not think of them as communal, but they really kind of are because a number of them will nest in one tree. So we see them all in our yard, and we say, how in the world can their numbers be declining? I I must have all of them here. But according to Audubon, their numbers are are dropping oh. and so they're uh, but they're just one of those birds that we see and they they walk around like they have an attitude 
with their they do a thing called billing where they point their bill towards the sky <laughs> and i think that ticks a lot of people off they just think well that bird really thinks he's something out there strutting around and when you think about it most birds strut a little bit and most humans too so we all have this various way that we strut around and uh, um, they're doing it because they have territories they want to find a mate and they're doing all and they can't put on Oh, uh, bell-bottom pants or things like some of us did to attract a mate. So they have to bill out there, just stick their bill up in the air. But I think it's just the way they look that uh, ticks a lot of people off. And then they, they do, you know, they will swipe an egg or a baby bird. And I know I've had people... Uh, email me. One saw a grackle kill a junco, and oh. one had seen a grackle kill a um, house sparrow. But, you know, we have a lot of birds that kill things, and bald eagles kill a lot of things, and yet we all just think we love bald eagles. So, uh, I, you know, I don't know how that works. I think it's just the attitude that we, our perceived attitude of this beautiful bird and a grackle. And if folks ever get down to uh, Texas, down in the lower Rio Grande Valley, you will find a lot of uh, great-tailed grackles down there pretty much everywhere you go. They're in every parking lot, shopping center, no matter where you go. And they are, our grackles here are shut mouth compared to those guys down there. They just make all these odd sounds. So there are several different species of grackles and the one we have is a common grackle although we do get some great tailed grackles coming into minnesota right down on the iowa border and i have seen them there uh, so we do have other grackles but mainly it's a common grackle and i you know i i like every bird i really do it's not i'm not very good at judging anything uh, and that includes birds, so I just, I like them all, and it just makes life a lot easier, I think, that way. Is yeah. the weather we're having this extra warm going to be affecting them in good ways or bad ways, or maybe not at all? Because it seems like it's been a, quite longer than above average temperatures than we usually get. Yeah, and I think it uh, it impacts them in a good way because they're able to be out there. They're getting natural foods. They're able to travel a little bit. They don't have to burn so much energy because of the cold and the wind and everything. So, And, it, you know, when we get through November, and you'll hear folks say this now, boy, we've made it through November. You know, it's going to be a that shortens the winter. We make it, and, and then somebody will say, you know, it's not even winter yet. Winter hasn't even started. It's quite a while before winter starts, but we uh, we we want to lump November in there and just because it makes us feel a little better, get a shortened winter because we made it this far without any terrible storms or terrible cold. And so it... it it's good for us, I guess. Uh, you know, maybe unless you're selling snowmobiles or snowblowers. Well, you're still selling snowblowers and snowmobiles. But it it's better for us, too, because we're outside, Karen. You know, we got more stuff done in the yard than maybe oh, some years. and I'm still doing things out in the yard. This past weekend, I, you know, I just thought as long as I can, I just keep doing it. And 
I was recalling one year, a number of years back, when I planted tulips as late as December 7th, and I believe I could do that this year if I had any more bulbs left. So, yeah, it's it's yeah. just extremely warm, and for a gardener, if it extends the season, I, I'm okay with that. Yeah, and it's it's good because otherwise there's always something, and then we're looking outside and got to get some guests over and one looks out the window and says boy that snowman you built looks a lot like a lawnmower <laughs> and we say yeah it is a lawnmower i, I forgot <laughs> didn't put it in the shed so thanks for <laughs> noticing that uh boy thanks everybody for sitting on the front porch with us uh, you know we're all from somewhere here over there back there down there up there under there or almost there the fellow was looking for a cemetery named If You Were Dead, You'd Be Home Now. I think that was a name. I'd never heard of whatever the cemetery asked me about. He referred to one of my favorite small towns as a backwater burg. I wasn't offended. There's no reason to be offended by everything. There are plenty of other people willing to handle that task for me, hence the people at the Jackson Brown concert. They'd be offended if they weren't offended. And I told him that a passive-aggressive dog had been reported to the police, the local police here. I thought that might convince him there were big city problems in small cities, but he was unimpressed. There are things I remember from a boyhood a few miles outside a village lacking a metropolitan area. I thought a place with stoplights was a big city. And when I saw someone wearing hand-me-down clothing, I knew who it had been handed down from. I learned enough to get by at the barber shop. Most of the businesses in town had built-in museums, whether they knew it or not. I was at a rural cemetery for an interment. But not the cemetery this man was seeking. The casket was about to be lowered into the ground when the deceased brother noticed it was the wrong burial site and halted the process. <laughs> when asked why he dug the wrong grave, the grave digger said the ground was softer there. Oh, <laughs> I hope you find soft ground where you need it and hard ground where you need that. Remember Heartland is well worth driving past. Thanks for listening to me. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company. Do something wild today, folks. Get out there and look at a bird. Hey, Al, it's always great to have you on. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.